As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. My superpower is the ability to dream. <laughs> This is what I want. Pursue it. And I think I just dream big. I've, I've always dreamed big. I've never like had medi mediocre goals. It's always been like big, lofty goals because you never know where you're going to land. You just have to have peace and knowing that if something doesn't work out in the way that you want it to work out, That just means you're supposed to go down another avenue. And so as many goals that I have, as many dreams that I want to accomplish, like I have so much peace knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going to be happy. Hi, this is Selena Rochester and you're listening to Dreams in Drive. This episode of Dreams and Drive is brought to you by Olay Body. I'm loving the Olay Body exfoliating and moisturizing body wash because you don't have to worry about that oily coated feeling or harsh feeling exfoliation because this body wash mixes off clean and is gentle enough for everyday use. Olay Body, fearless in my skin. Hey, Dream Drivers, welcome to episode 268 of the Dreams and Drive podcast. And we have another interview episode for you all today. Like I said before, on episode 266, where I talked about my new job, I wanted to use these next few episodes to highlight Dream Drivers who are making career strides and who are really who can share their story about what it takes to be a dream driver in the career world and outside of that. So today we're going to be speaking with Selena Rochester, who's a writer, producer, and network executive. She is a production and development executive for Bravo and E! and has produced and oversees some of Bravo's biggest series, including The Real Housewives of Atlanta, the Emmy-nominated Million Dollar Listing New York, the critically acclaimed Inside the Actors Studio, The Real Housewives of New York City, and Married to Medicine franchise, right? We're going to be talking to Selena about her dream driving journey and how she went from working as a page at NBC Universal to now being an executive at a top media company. Selena is going to give some tips for others who are looking to advance in their careers, as well as talk about what it really means to get past thinking your dreams are not possible, right? If you have big dreams, you have to dream big. And Selena's going to talk to us about that. Selena's also going to talk to us about how she was able to navigate some tough moments in her life and how now as a mom, her son and her hope for his legacy really guides her. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you're sharing it with your community. You can find us across the board at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreams and Drive and use that hashtag Dreams and Drive when sharing. I love when you guys are screenshotting that you're listening to the show and posting it on your social media. Continue to do that. If you want to sign up for our weekly newsletter, The Keys, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash join. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash join to sign up there. All right. 
Let's hear from Selena. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I am good. You know, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. Our listeners are in for a treat. A lot of times we have people who are, you know, seeking or on the entrepreneurial dream driving journey, but getting to hear about how you were able to build a career in media is going to be a treat for our listeners. I'm happy for them to be able to hear your story today. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it was a hard road, but um, I, I'm always open to sharing and just providing any bits of information that I could to help. All right. So I love to start our interviews uh, reflecting on who we were as children. I really think it's important when we're thinking about where we're going. Right. So if I could ask you, you know, what was inspiring you as a child? What was that thing that, you know, really lit you up about the world? Um, I always had like a huge imagination and I was always sort of like a natural storyteller. Um, and it's so funny, like it's just hearing like my parents talk about like all my parents and all the like elders in my family are like, it makes so much sense that you're on TV because those stories you had with your Barbie dolls, like, you know, I just remember having um, a ton of Barbie dolls and regular dolls. And I would have like storylines that would go for years even. And I was actually one of those kids who played with my dolls until I was about 12 years old. But it wasn't because I was like trying to hold on to like childhood, but it was like I created really great stories and like scenarios and characters for my dolls. Um, and so that was like I had always wanted to be a writer, I wanted to do something in the entertainment world. I just to me, it wasn't like a realistic sort of career Um career avenue just because you know when you grow up a young black girl like most my parents were working class people so they had you know working class jobs and like the idea of working in entertainment or working on tv wasn't realistic for me until really I went to college um but yeah so like I fell in love with tv I often say that I was a student of television just because as a kid I would watch a lot of tv a lot of movies um and it wasn't just for like the entertainment um, aspect of it like I would study and I didn't know this until I became an adult and would like look back on the way in which I watched television but you know I would study the directors and the way like the camera angles and um, the actors and who did good I, I often say that I was like a casting director by the age of 10 because there were people that I would see in movies and think wow she's really talented or hmm, I wonder if she's going to be acting for a while and then you know cut to 15 20 years later they have this huge career in Hollywood and I remember that independent film that I watched as a kid with them on it and you know sort of predicted so I would definitely think like just my passion for stories and um arts were a huge driver for me as a kid which led me into this um industry although it did take me quite some time because you know I went to school for political science and didn't really I was gonna I was gonna ask you that right you went to Hampton uh what why political science although you knew you wanted to be a storyteller not saying that politics isn't about stories but you know Mm -hmm. what was there a shift for you going into college did you not think that I know you said you didn't think it was feasible or doable but um why why that 
I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I had the gift of gab. You know, I like to talk a lot. I like to argue. I was good at debate. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, let's be a lawyer. Why don't you go to law school? Um, Hampton didn't have a pre-law program, but they had political science. And I was actually also really into politics. Like I was watching CNN as early as middle school. I remember I would wake up in the morning to get ready for school and would turn CNN on like a you know 45-year-old woman. Um, and so from it, just politics just seemed, political science seems like a natural avenue to go go through. And my ultimate goal, um, if I didn't do law, because I will say by my sophomore year at Hampton, I realized law wasn't really the where I wanted to go because it just, you know, you have to be really passionate about law and pursuing that career in order to do well because you have to pass the bar exam. You have to go through law school, which is an extremely difficult process. And for me, I was like, I just don't have the passion and I don't want to half-ass anything. So I don't think that I'm going to go to be, become a lawyer. But then I was like, well, so then do I go back to this dream of like working in entertainment? But am I a writer? What do I do? How do I do it? And I remember mm-hmm. having a conversation um, with the Career Center at Hampton. And I was like, well, I think I want to switch over to the School of Communications. But by that point, she was like, you would end up having to do like an extra year and a half at school. Why don't you just wait and get a master's in you know communication, like whatever it is you want to do? So I knew by like sophomore, junior year that political science and um, and law wasn't going to be an avenue for me, that I was going to try to pursue something in entertainment, but I just didn't know exactly what. And at one point I was really highly considering um, uh, political speech writing because I wanted to be a writer. And I think this is all just like the blocks in my mind of like not um, thinking that it was possible for me to actually work in Hollywood just didn't seem realistic so I was like well I I don't think I can be a writer but I'll be a speech writer that you know I'll work on Capitol Hill like because that just seemed more attainable um but of course that all switched as well and I just decided to pursue a master's in film and tv production um and really I landed on film and tv production um so when I was in undergrad you know I knew I was going to work in entertainment and I was going to get my master's some in it somewhere I just didn't know what so I ended up doing teach for America after Hampton so that I could give myself a couple years to figure out like where exactly I want to work in entertainment and you know being a teacher in southeast DC was completely enlightening for me I had always grown up thinking oh I was poor I'm a poor girl you know where did you grow up if you don't mind me asking uh-huh. Um, between New Jersey and Connecticut, my father lived in Connecticut. So, you know, I would spend summers, um, and vacations with my father. And then I ended up going to high school in Connecticut. My mom lived, um, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So, okay. Yeah. So you, were, you were doing TFA and realizing the disparities with education. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, like the story, like my students, I mean, it's just like all of those, you know, stories of kids and parents and people in you know impoverished neighborhoods of struggling and homelessness and drug addiction and you know kids being born to drug like drug addicted parents and then having the you know I had a student who 
was a crack baby. I hate saying that term, but like, that's what he was. He was born with, you know, crack cocaine in his system. He was my fourth grade student, but because of that, he had all sorts of learning disabilities and he had extreme ADHD. Um, and he, and it was just so sad because it's like, he was such a smart kid, but like he had all of these disabilities that were holding him back because of the choices of his parents. And then, you know, I had student, a student who, um, whose mom was working the third shift. So she was up and she, this is fourth grade. She was up throughout the night taking care of her mom's baby. Um, and then she would come to school too tired to participate and sleeping all morning. And it's like, it was just unfair. And then, so that was my first two years in teaching. And then I was able to transfer to another school within DC, but it was in Capitol Hill. It was still a majority black um, school, but it was more middle-class black kids at this point. And like, just seeing the difference between the kids in the middle-class neighborhood versus the kids in the poor neighborhood, the resources that they had, the opportunities that they would most likely be offered as they got older versus the kids who didn't. It was just like, you know, that education gap is real. And and like, you know, that's not even like the middle-class black kids versus like the wealthy white kids who lived, you know, in um, the like outskirts of DC who lived in like Virginia and Maryland was even bigger So that just pushed me to want to actually tell these stories. And I became passionate about being a documentary filmmaker. And so I realized that I'm just going to go to school to try to be a a film and TV producer. Because again, for me, like I was still hung up on, you got to be successful. You have to make money. You can't have a career like truly in the arts. And so when I was studying entertainment, the producer is the person who makes the most money on a project. You know, like they're the ones who are putting everything together. Like a writer, you can have really great ideas and be an amazing writer, but if no one buys your projects, you're going to be a starving artist. Whereas like a producer can get a job at a network, can get a job at a production company. I don't know, to me, it just seemed like going down the producer route um, would be the safest option within entertainment. And so I got my degree in um my master's in film and TV production, but to find out I love producing, like it's really is comes very natural to me. Okay. And I know that you, one of the things, uh, one of the programs that you were in, you were uh, a a page, right? Mm -hmm. NBC page. Talk to us why that was a good, I guess, a good intro for you into the industry. Yeah. So for me, because I had, in undergrad, I was a political science major and my internships were mostly in politics. I knew that even though I had a master's in film and TV production, I didn't have any real work experience in TV or entertainment at all. So I, I'd be at a disadvantage. Plus, I was also now a little bit older. Most kids coming out of undergrad working in TV, you know, like 22, I was like 25, had all this like teaching experience, but nothing to tie to the entertainment world. So the PAGE program offered me the ability to get paid very little, <laughs> made like $12 an hour. But like it allowed me to um, build my resume and, you know, do assignments all across the network. And um, one, also figure out what it is that I want to do. If I do want to work for a media company, what are the different types of jobs there? But also it was like a resume builder. Um, But it actually turned out to be like an amazing opportunity to network and meet a lot of people, which led to my job at Bravo. Yes. Let's talk about um, the idea of not thinking something's possible. And then when you finally do realize it is possible and creating a strategy, right? Why do you think a lot of times a lot of us get stuck in it's not possible, right? I think it's fear. Um, 
fear and like fear that a failure on our own fear that it won't work out fear of judgment from others for me a big fear was like fear of being poor you know like you know I laugh about it but it's true like I said my parents were working class they struggled you know my mom was a single mom my father was a hard-working man of five kids but he worked you know 12 14 hour days and that's just something I didn't want to do and so I think the fear of like being in a situation like that overpowered my um ability to like think logically about what 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 it is I have to offer, like what it is that I can pursue giving my natural talent. And so I had to overcome all of that and really just say to myself, you know, like you well, to be honest, I was my at the time, um, I was with a, my boyfriend who later became my husband, who's since passed away, but um he was really the one who pushed me to get a degree in television because he was telling me that you only have one life to live and you have to be happy doing your life. And it's so amazing, like the fact that he ended up, you know, having a very short life, but that was his mindset. It's like, you have one life to live. You have to be happy. What are you going to want to do? Are you going to really want to wake up every day and write speeches for politicians? Or do you want to work in film and television? If that's what you want to do, you're going to be successful at it because that's what you're passionate at. And so I was like, okay, like that gave me the at least it gave me the courage to move forward. I definitely went into it blind. Like I didn't know what was going to come out of having this career. I didn't know what was going to come out of doing the PAGE program because at the time I had been a teacher for four years living in DC with my boyfriend. We were together, you know, at this point, probably for eight years. He wasn't able to leave DC because he was still in school. I gave up all my friends, every like a career that made, I was making probably about 56,000 a year to make $12 an hour as an NBC page with the hope that I would have a job at the end of the year. Um, but I did it, you know, it's just like, I jumped blindly into the situation. I gave it my all, all my passion and it turned out pretty well. And I will say like that, that was a pivotal moment in my time in my life that made me realize that no, you just can't act from a place of fear. You have to act from a place of this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do. And, we'll see what happens. And so since then, I've made multiple blind jumps into things, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, but having hope for what it could be. And then in most instances, you know, I've been really successful. I found a lot of success in my, it's only been about 10 years since I've been on this entertainment journey. And I'm a vice president for multiple companies at this point. Um, that's amazing. And I think it also goes into trusting yourself, right? Because that's a big part of being able to take risk and, and making those blind jumps. Um, let's talk about how you got the job at Bravo, right? Because everybody wants to work at, you know, big media companies, the, 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 the names that they know, right? Talk us through that, how you were able to get your foot in the door. Well, so when I was at Paige, um, Again, like I still had these dreams of being a documentary filmmaker, but I was like, well, you know, that's going to be really difficult to take so long to make films. Like, what can you do in the meantime to earn a living? And I thought like unscripted programming would be the closest to like documentary filmmaking because you are working. um, Well, you know, you're producing stories of real people. Um, so I just, I didn't really know, like, you know, when I was working in New York, I was like, oh, it'd be great to work at Bravo because that was one of the, um, channels like at NBC, 
So I decided to, um, I went to the Grio. The Grio was a online news magazine, black owned news magazine that was also a part of NBC Universal. And so I, I just like walked into their office one day. I was like, Hey guys, you know, it's a bunch of black journalists. It was so amazing just seeing them all, you know, working. And I was like, if you guys are ever interested in having a person um, do the Atlanta housewives recaps, like I could do that. So that was able, that gave me the opportunity to, um, like to do some writing, to have like an online presence as a writer, but also to show my interest in like reality programming and all of that. Um, and so when an uh, assistant position opened up at Bravo, usually what happens is like those assistant positions go to the pages first and the pages are able to apply. I mean, they're, they also open it up to, you know, regular, like not people who aren't part of the company, but it's, you have a bit of an, an advantage being a page within the company. Um, And so, yeah, I applied for the position. I interviewed. I think what definitely helped me stand out is the fact that I was a little bit older and I had some of that real work experience. So I wasn't coming in as this, you know, fresh, like 22 year old straight out of college. Like there's a uh, aura of, I guess, um, maturity at that point with me. Plus I had like the writing experience for, um, Atlanta Housewives, which showed them that I was passionate about the brand, that I knew and understood the brand. And then I had a really strong point of view. They would ask me, well, what shows do you like on Bravo? And I would give my opinion, but then I would also expound on it. Like, this is why I like it. And this is where I think you could go. And, you know, and I just had a lot of, um, I'd done my research on like the brand or Bravo in particular. Um, And so I was able to speak from a place of knowledge and then also, um, you know, reading the trades like deadline and the Hollywood reporter variety, all of that is really important because you're able to know what's going on in the industry in real time. So that when you do have that job interview, you can also talk about like the business side of it all, not just the creative. Cause at the end of the day, like a network is about making money and like you're creating fun content but it's content that needs to be successful from a business perspective. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I would say those are probably some of the things that helped me get the position at Bravo and then had to, you know. And elevate from there. So your title, what was your title going in? Uh, Production coordinator, which is essentially an assistant to the senior vice president who's the head of the um, production department. And even that, I was really lucky because most of the production jobs were out in L.A. Bravo just happens to have, um, well, NBC Universal's headquarters is in New York. So like all the heads and all like PR, marketing, digital finance was housed out of um, New York, the New York office. And then LA was sort of like the satellite office, like the ancillary like departments, but um, production and, and development was actually based in New York. So that was also just sort of, I like to say, you know, God just put me in a good, you know, good. Yeah. Your right place, right time. Right. So I was able to get a production job. Um, And yeah, I was an assistant, you know. Hey, Dream Drivers. As a new mom, my shower time is also much-needed me time and self-care time. It's one of the few spaces to get those must-have moments for mind and body. Plus, feeling my best helps me reach my fullest potential for the day. When you look good, you smell good, you are ready to do good. That's why I love Olay Body Exfoliating and Moisturizing Body Wash with sugar, cocoa butter, and vitamin B3. 
Some of the things I love about this product is that it's made with cocoa butter, which feels ultra nourishing to your skin. Also, you don't have to worry about the oily coated feeling or harsh feeling exfoliation because this body wash rinses clean and is gentle enough for everyday use. Plus, you can have a lot of trust that this product works. Olay's 65 years of beauty science is incorporated into this product with body care designed by skin experts to improve the look and feel of your skin from head to toe. You definitely need to give these Olay body body washes a try. They completely changed how I thought about my body care routine in my shower. As I said, shower time is precious, so I invest in the best. You can find Olay body products in store or online. Olay body, fearless in my skin. What were some of the things that you were learning about the industry? Like, what were some of the hands-on things that no school or no, you know, like that you, that you realize, wow, this, these are things I didn't really know about what it takes to succeed in this industry? Um, pretty much everything. Like, school doesn't really prepare you to work in the exactly. industry. It just, you know, it gives you fundamental knowledge like it teaches you you know of course all the practical stuff when it comes to like handling a camera and sound and lighting I did all of that but like you know teaches you the, the practical business models and all of that but it's like you don't you like it you can't be like there's no hands-on unless you're actually hands-on at a network so for me it was all brand new um you know there's like a link there's like a lingo like um, that you have to use when you're talking to like agents and TV people like, you know, um, leave word for like, you know, did you leave word for meaning like, like if my boss told me to call someone um, and they didn't pick up, like you'd say, I'm just leaving word for, you know, da, da, da. And it's like, you know, little phrases like that you have to learn really quickly because you sort of got to jump in and it's not an industry where there's people are going to hold your hand and help you. It's extremely competitive and cutthroat and you really have to make a lane for yourself and fight. Like, you know, I've, not, I mean, yeah, like, you know, it's a fight, like it's a competitive industry and it wasn't like easy for me to stand out, but, um, it's just, it it was definitely like on the job training, like the dealing with producers is another thing, like being able to, um, and this is like, as I got higher and sort of moved out of the assistant role and more into the creative role, but like, you know, we're all coming together to make a show. We're all creative individuals and we all have our opinions on things. And so a producer may suggest, you know, well, this is a really interesting storyline. Let's pursue this. And it's like, I might be like, no, I don't really think that's interesting. But you have to communicate it in a way that you're not insulting the other person because, you know, at the end of the day, their ideas are just as valid as my ideas. So there is like this balance. Um, also networking and, you know, just meeting people and having a lot of connections in the industry is also really important because you never know when, you know, they may let you go or you may be tired of a job and you don't want to work there anymore, or you may have to fight for more money in order to fight for more money. You have to get a job offer at another company, but you have to know people. So that's another thing. I was very comfortable at Bravo, but I was constantly networking and meeting people elsewhere. How were you, what were some of the ways that you were networking? I went to a lot of networking events. Um, You know, they would do like happy hour. And I said like, you know, um, um, let's, it would mostly be like production type, um, clubs, I guess, you know, like there's like, um, ghetto film school, which was like a big one, um, or just people or like, even like the television Academy, like there's a lot more here in LA, New York, it was really, really hard to network in the entertainment industry because they're 
it's not like, you know, New York is a, there's entertainment there, but it's not like the hub of it all. But I definitely went to a lot of networking events. Um, I reached out to people on LinkedIn. I did lots of informationals. I was never afraid to talk to different people. HR people are really important. um, I want to say that's actually what helped me get my job. Um, at Bravo because all of the pages were applying for the Bravo job, of course, because we all wanted that. But I had made a connection with the HR, one of the HR people at the company. And when the Bravo position opened up, like typically the way you do it as a page is like you give your resume um, to the page coordinator, the page coordinator will then send all like the pages resumes to the people. But like I size, I did that, but then I also went straight to the HR person was like, Hey, I really want this job. Like I'm applying. He's like, Oh yeah. You know, I think you would be great. And so he was able to advocate on my behalf to whoever the hiring manager was outside of just like getting a big stack of resumes. Here's a bunch of resumes. Who do you like? Like he was, Oh, you know, Selena's really great definitely take a look at her resume so it really really helps to like get in good with HR people and I still do that to this day like on LinkedIn I try to um reach out to different HR people at different studios and networks just because you never know you never I was going to say that you never know right that's a really good tip I think a lot of people aren't really thinking about they may want to network with the people who have the quote-unquote fancy jobs but not realizing that HR is what's fueling the people to get into those positions right they're the ones who are in the background like funneling resumes and making recommendations and all of that um you know Selena you work in current production at Bravo right so talk to our listeners like what does that mean and what are some of the unique skill sets that you need to have in order to excel in your position Okay, so current production is basically the creative producing aspect of it. Um, And it's called current production because it's the shows that are currently in production. And then you have like production and operations. Those are the people who are more budget, like they deal with the budgets and the um, like the hiring and all of that. So for me, it's it's just all creative. Um, I mean, I oversee budgets and stuff too, but it's like I focus on the creative. As the network executive who works in current production, we hire production, third-party production companies to actually be in the field shooting all of the shows, but we, but we have the final say. So for me, like on a daily basis, I could be on a weekly call with um, my producer, like my showrunners who are in the field, you know, like, we're like married to medicine Atlanta because it it just it's about that's one of the shows that I oversee so when married to medicine Atlanta was in production um every week I would have a weekly call with the showrunners what are the storylines what's happening it's very different because it's unscripted programming and it really really isn't scripted people are always like oh it's fake you know producers tell them what to do that's not the case at all we start off the season with the producers going to each of the women what's going on in your life what are the big moments happening in the next you know about four to six, um, four months of shooting that we do. And then from there, we figure out how do we tell these stories? Like, for instance, someone might say, um, like, Simone, my son is graduating from high school. He's going off to college. You know, me and Cecil are becoming empty nesters. You know, Michael is still here, but, like, he's on his way out. We've never lived and we haven't lived together in a home without children in, what, probably over 20 years. I think our older son is 20. Um, so then it's like, okay, so what does that look like? What is the life of two empty nesters look like? And so we have to figure out how to tell that story over the span of the year. 
Um, and then, and so that's like production. So we go through, I do go on set. Well, before COVID, we can't travel right now. I would go on set a couple times in a year just to, you know, make my hellos to the cast member, talk to the producers, make sure everything is being shot appropriately. I mean, everyone's all very professional, but you know, like you kind of have to make sure as a network that the production company has a handle on things. Like, you know, they have all the equipment that they need, you know, people aren't slacking all of that. So then in post-production, the production company will put together an episode, you know, like they send us what we call cuts. I watch an episode, it goes through rough cut, fine cut one, fine cut two, picture lock, four different stages. Um, and we and I give my notes on that. And so for that, again, it's really storytelling because it's like, does this make sense? Like we're not making up the story, yeah. but we're seeing if the story makes sense. You know, if someone is struggling in their marriage, okay, well, what is the backstory behind that? Like, why are they like, you know, Contessa and um and Scott have a big like storyline this upcoming season around their marriage. And we've seen in past seasons that they struggle with communication. So it's my job to like, if there's a scene where Contessa and Scott are arguing or talking about their relationship, then for me, um, it's like, well, what are, like, you know, when they do those interviews, like it's usually just asking questions. Well, how is she feeling in this moment? And how, does she think that there's a possibility for this relationship? And why does she want therapy? Why doesn't he want therapy? So you ask these questions so that when they're in interview, they can explain um, some of these things just to help the story um, be a lot stronger. And then, and then there's like the logistical stuff in terms of like marketing, um, you know, have to work with the marketing team, have to work with the press team, have to work with the digital team, getting them assets so that they can market the show, um, and promote the show in the best way possible. Do you ever feel responsible for making sure that the stories that you're telling are you know, I feel like what's unscripted reality TV, right? Like there, it gets a bad, sometimes it gets a bad rap, right? And what do you feel like is your responsibility as an executive for for a company like Bravo that's making these type of shows? Well, it's to tell the most accurate story and it's to portray the women in the most accurate way. And it's, you know, it's sometimes like I totally understand because I am a black woman and I don't want and there are lots of negative images of us, you know, on TV. And so I would never want to have um, just like fighting for no reason, like purposeless fighting, I would say. Yeah. But at the same time, like these are women who are friends and friends fight like I don't know a, a group of you know female friends that don't have disagreements with their friends they usually make up and you know these like some of these people on these shows are big personalities and because they're big personalities their fights tend to be really big like maybe more so than like you know what we would normal non-tv people would do but it's all real and authentic and so I like to show a multifaceted woman it's like you have it's not just like the fighting happens that's like a side part of the show but it's like you want to show a woman who's struggling in her marriage or who's succeeding in her marriage who's like a really great mother or she's having a hard time as a single mother she's a businesswoman an entrepreneur someone like a candy burris who's like constantly starting new businesses or has having to struggle with being the most successful woman in her family. So she has to, you know, help her mom, help her cousins, help all of these people. She gets criticism because she married a man who doesn't make as much as her, but she's in love. So who, you know, who, who is, who are these people to tell her who to marry? So you just, it's important to tell these female stories, 
that you don't often see. Like we don't really see scripted movies about this. Like scripted black movies tend to be like us suffering and you know the <laughs> worst possible you know scenario. But these are just normal, regular women who have struggles, who have happiness, who have love, and who fight a little bit. And you know, it is what it is. You know what was what was a challenge for you, uh, Selena, as you're as you're building your career and as you're climbing up the ladder. So you went from coordinator to um to manager to director right um now you're a vp what were some of the challenges that you faced in building your personal career brand i would say just like having the confidence to um ask for more and to not get settled in your position a lot of people tend to get stuck in a position because they feel like well i'll just wait for them to promote me or i'll just you know wait for that raise and you know, you you don't want to cause waves or anything. And that was me for a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, well, I don't want to be stuck in this position um, forever. So like, I always advocated for myself when I became manager. um, It was because I was just tired of being a coordinator. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I've done, well, really, like I, I stepped outside of like the coordinator role and I started doing the job of the vice presidents at the time, because that was my ultimate goal. Um, so I just worked really, really hard. Like, you know, I did the assistant job, but I was also watching shows and giving story notes to like prove that I could do the job. And that's what helped get me promoted along the way. Um, but, you know, also finding my voice was a hard, was a challenge because I was pretty much one of maybe two for years, like black people in our department, at least very few black people in the company in general. Um, And having to speak for black people is hard because it's like, you know, something could come across the desk that I might find really offensive. And it's like, okay, this is offensive. And no one understands or realizes that, but it's my responsibility as the black voice in the room to use my voice and express that and sometimes I would get pushed back or I would feel like I'm overreacting and I would just keep calm and have to continue to express myself because I never wanted to feel regret I never wanted to like go home at night and be like oh Selena you know you should have said that like there's no one else who can imagine yeah you know so so yeah no I I can definitely imagine that you know always feeling like you have to be the the voice of the people in situations where companies should really be making sure that they're there. I guess I would ask you, do you feel like the, the climate has changed where they're bringing in more, more diverse talent at media companies across the board to make sure that there are voices to voices that reflect the shows that are being made by these companies? Mm-hmm. I definitely think so. I do think that since, you know, we've, they've been forced to deal with it, there's been a big push to have more diverse hiring, more sensitivity training, but not just diverse hiring, because there's always been the need for diverse, like there's always been like the quote unquote quota at these companies where you have to have a certain amount of, you know, people people of color working for you but oftentimes those roles were being filled in the coordinator or like the intern role and then it's like a person would be a coordinator for like two or three years and there's no upward mobility so then they leave and so you have all the upper executive management roles filled by white people there just weren't any people of color and it's still you know you know rare like like even me at the vp level again there's only 
one other black VP on my team, um, on my team. There's two, luckily there's two other, um, black women who are at the director level. So it is getting better. Um, but yeah, like there's a big push to hire in the executive, um, ranks. Like you can't just have these coordinators because not everyone is going to feel like they're in a position to have their voice heard. Like you need those high level executives in that position. And I think that they're doing more. There's all of this money being dedicated to um, partnering with different like organizations that will help bring in um, people of color into the companies. So it's only, we just have to wait and see, but I do feel optimistic that the door is being open a little bit more, but I still think that there's a lot more work to be done. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, as one of the things I wanted to make sure that we we touched on now, because it's something that I live every day as a new mother, right? Being a mother, being a media executive, uh, you have a five-year-old son that you mentioned. How do you manage it? I think now with COVID, right, it's probably even harder now that the whole world's on a lo- lockdown. But how has motherhood informed your career journey? Um, well, it's definitely, well, <laughs> well, that, that part of your question, motherhood has informed my career journey, definitely for the positive. Um, I, ha- like I said, I was a, co- a little older than most coordinators. So I, was I, no, no, no. I was a manager when I got pregnant with my son. Um, and I remember after having him, I was still living in New York city. Like I was making, you know, okay money but not enough to have a son in New York City and I remember at one point like I was in the grocery store and I was prioritizing what type of bread I can buy because I can't afford the expensive more healthier bread and I was like this is bs like I'm an executive at this point like a man like a junior executive at a major company working on some of the most popular shows in television Atlanta Housewives New York Housewives Married to Medicine and I'm struggling to buy bread for my son like that just like took me to the next level and I think it's because it was my child and I was like he doesn't deserve to struggle like this because I'm too afraid to ask for more um so I went in and asked for it was the first time I'd ever asked for a raise and I told them I was like you know like I just need more money I don't know what you guys plan on doing but I'm taking meetings at other companies which I was because I just, I have to think about my child at this point. Okay. And luckily, um, they not only gave me a raise, but they also gave me a title bump. And so I was pushed up to the director level, which was great. Um, so my son, like, definitely, like, had a huge impact on um, just pushing me to do more because not I only I had him to think about. Um, and then... Yeah. And then, you know, a few years later, unfortunately, like my husband, his father um, passed away from cancer and I found myself a single mother. Like, I just remember like, and it was like, right. And this was actually right around that time I had gotten promoted to director and it like jumped me into a a bigger income bracket. Cause like within this, this industry, it's like, you make okay money and then suddenly you make good money. And like, I had finally gotten to that point, but I got to that point at a time where my husband was sick and, you know, we like, he couldn't work anymore. And so I was not like the person having to, um, you know, provide for all of us from a new son um, and my husband and all of that. And then unfortunately he passed away and, 
you know, I took six months off from work and I remember thinking like I could just give up and just be like, screw this. I don't want to go back to like the challenge of work and all of that. Let me just like move back home, you know, to Connecticut where all my sisters and my family and my parents were. But I was like, but you know, you can't work in entertainment in Connecticut. Um, And I didn't want that. And I knew that like this career could provide a lot for my son, you know, like once you get to that point where, you know, you are making more money, um, like, you know, I just knew that I had to like stick with it and stay with it. And he definitely motivated me to like get back, you know, get my head back in the game. We up and moved to LA. I was like, I don't want to stay in New York anymore. So I moved him here to LA. Um, and luckily my parents did move with me. They said that they would come with me, um, you know, to help, help me get started because I have no family in LA at all. But um, it's hard. It's been it's been a struggle being a mother, working this job, like a very intense career that, you know, before COVID, I had to travel a lot. I had to be on set. It isn't a nine to five. You know, I'm up early answering emails. I'm up late answering emails. I'm screening shows. Now that COVID hit, we're both at home. He's, um, you know, he does virtual school. And that was really difficult as well because it's like managing, like I'm on Zoom, he's on Zoom. So I ended up having to hire someone because my through this, at some point, my parents ended up moving back to Connecticut. So it's really just me and him. Um, but I had to hire someone and to be with him. And, you know, once school starts up again, because I'm still on this new journey of like being a single mom, I'm still trying to figure it all out. And it's happening in the midst of a pandemic. So the world isn't even in a regular place. But I'm planning for the future for when things open up and we can travel again. He's back in normal school. Like I'm probably just going to have to hire a nanny. And that's one of those things too. Like, you know, I think our, um, well, at least me again, like growing up as like a working class, you know, um, black person, like we don't, <laughs> my parents didn't have a nanny. My mom could have definitely used a nanny, but no, she can afford a nanny, you know, like my stepmom, of course, as well, could have used a nanny. So for, so it's still like uncomfortable, like talking about that and even thinking about that. But it's like, I know it's what's best for my household and what I, what it will take for me to be able to balance a very demanding career, but also um, raising a, a child alone. So it's, you know, you really just sort of have to figure out what works best for you and get as much help as possible in order to um, balance it all. Cause I refuse to give up my career, you know, at this point. Thank you so much for sharing that. Right. I feel like it, it's really tough. I, I couldn't imagine, you know, being a single mom kind of unexpectedly, right. Losing your husband during it's you're, you're very vulnerable during those moments. Right. And then making this cross country move. How did you find the courage to, to, to keep going? I know you said your son was a, a major fuel for you, but was there anything else that was really, you know, part of your, 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 your fuel, right? Like what was really helping you stay encouraged during those moments? I think just seeing, you know, how quickly a person's life could come to an end, you know, like, again, like I said, like it ties back to him, like all those years ago telling me you only have one life to live. You might as well just be happy in it. But like witnessing, you know, a perfectly healthy person suddenly, you know, within a year and a half be gone from this world. It's like, we really only have one life to live and you really just can't waste it. Like wishing you did this and wishing you did that. Cause I just remember, you know, like him, like, 
being in that mode of like realizing, wow, my life is about to end and I didn't accomplish half of what I wanted to accomplish. And so I just, I think I use that as a fuel to like keep going because it's like, you just never know. Like I never want to be in a position where I'm like, well, I wish I had tried this. I wish I had tried that, but now I can't because, you know, so while I have breath and a healthiness in my body and the ability to do what I want to do, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Cause you know, no, I definitely feel you. And I love that you also mentioned that being okay to to ask for help, right? How you had to make that decision to get a nanny, someone to come help, well, not a nanny, but someone to help you come help your son when he's in school. I think a lot of us, especially Black women, especially us who are trying to drive dreams, new moms, mothers, whoever, right? We're, we often think that we have to live in a like we have to work, 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 work so hard. And if we're not working hard, then we're not like we're not really succeeding. But you really have to figure out like what what matters and what you can unload off to someone else, because we don't have to be walking receptacles of stress and anxiety. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. It's so balance. It has to be a balance. Um, You know, one of the things I know people who are listening to this, there might be people who are trying to get into uh, media, specifically TV. Where do you think are opportunities now for people to really chart careers in the production or TV industry? Well, I think because there's just a, a better opportunity for people to create their own content and get their own content out there like on YouTube and then using social media to really build a following and a fan base so that you can get noticed by bigger networks has really helped a lot of you know these independent um content creators and in and and in sometimes you know like social media and like YouTube ads and all of that have made it where you may not even need to go to the network and you can actually make enough money on like a YouTube show you know like there's just all of these YouTube families like my son like that's all he watches is YouTube and like these I'm watching these families like they're creating content on their own creating their own shows and making money off of it um so I just think like the world has definitely opened up a little bit so that you don't necessarily have to go that avenue now if you want to um I would say you know just networking and building connections like continuing to do your own projects on your own just so that you can have um you know, like a calling card or like what it is, an example of what it is you can do so that when you get that opportunity um, to, you know, pitch an idea or possibly have a, a network pick up your idea, they'll have an idea of like what what it is that you do, like what your style is, whether it's you're a writer, director um, or producer, um, but networking and being in the cities where you can actually do like you have a better opportunity of being noticed. I know that there are a lot of people who can up and move to LA, um, with, but you know, maybe you take a trip out to LA every, you know, couple months if possible and like spend a week just trying to meet people and talk to people and setting up those meetings. Cause it really is important to have, um, relationships in this industry like most jobs come from like that relationship aspect people knowing you or knowing of you and think oh I had a great conversation with such and such they may be good for this position and then going that way thank you for sharing that and dream drivers I hope you guys are taking notes right because I think a lot of us 
just think that, oh, I have to find a job or I have to just work at the media company. But I think investing in and and creating your own content and then you never know who will be interested in the stuff that you're you're creating on your own. So that's a good first first place to start. Mm -hmm. I mean, Selena, in the beginning of the interview, we talked about your childhood um, inspirations and how you were always a storyteller and what the dream was. Right now, almost 10 years into your career um, in production, in TV, What's the dream now for you? At some point, you know, I mean, I love being a network executive and working at the network, but, you know, I would love to just own my own production company and be able to create content um, that I want to create both in scripted and unscripted. I'm a writer, you know, like I said, but, you know, and I don't have the opportunity to write in my day job, but I write on my own. And I'm hoping that in the next few years, I can start selling some of my projects, which would allow me to um, confidently be able to leave the company and just start, you know, start my own production company, start pursuing, um, like producing my own content. Yeah. And I th- and, and working in the industry, although you may not necessarily be a writer, you're learning so much about how the industry works and that, that experience is just, you know, is, is, you can't even put a price on that. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And I'm meeting so many more people. I'm luckily, I'm luck, I'm luckily have started doing development as well in my, in my job. And so now I know a bunch of agents and, you know, managers and heads of studios and heads of um, different networks. So it'll be easier for me once I have like my, um, my story idea, like my scripted story ideas to just, you know, reach out to someone like hey look at this I have this are you interested versus you know like blindly calling or hoping that someone will give me a chance which is why I'm just going to try to pursue it because if I'm in it you know and we'll see where it goes yeah most definitely you never know you never you never know um Selena what keeps you going when you feel like giving up right as dream drivers we aren't always fueled we they're gonna be good days there'll be bad days but for you what's that thing that really keeps you going what's that to my son honestly like it's he's he's my motivator you know like I'm his only parent so I have to keep going when you know those days you don't feel like going anymore but he's looking for me to like help and take care of him. But not only that, but just like provide um, just like an example of being a hardworking person. Um, And I'm very honest, like when I have my hard days and I'm like, I'm overwhelmed. Like I don't hide it from him. Um, You know, he knows and understands that because I want him to have a balanced like view on reality, but he definitely pushes me to, to go forward and keep going. And, you know, again, just knowing that, you know, every, like every day that we're on this planet is a gift from God and you can't waste it. And you have to, you can have your bad days. You can lay in bed and like, you know, just have that moment because you can't, you shouldn't bottle it up. And there are moments where I just want to cry and I'm tired and I don't want to be bothered. And I allowed me to have that, that I don't stay in it for too long because if I stay in it for too long, then that's me deciding to be like sad and depressed and tired and angry where you have to decide to just get up and, you know, keep find the good in it. Like as, as hard as life can be, there's so much that can make you smile and make you happy and make it worth getting up and pursuing. And that's what I always look for. 
And you know, last last thing I want to ask you is, what do you feel like your superpower is? Your gift, right? You've learned a lot about yourself and what you've been able to accomplish from the NBC Page program and up. Right now, like, what could you confidently say? Like, I am my my superpower is blank. My superpower is the ability to dream, <laughs> not no pun intended, but I, like having a dream because all goals just start with like the very nugget, like this is what I want, pursue it. And I think I just dream big. I've, I've always dreamed big. I've never like sought, me- had medi- mediocre goals. It's always been like big lofty goals because you never know where you're going to land, like, you know, at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Selena, for sharing your story. You know, before we before we go, though, you can't be a dream driver without your keys to success. Right. So can you tell our dream drivers three things that you think they need in their toolkit before they hit the road? Confidence, definitely confidence in yourself that you can accomplish whatever you want, which you really can drive and determine I would say determination because Mm -hmm. there's because you can have as much confidence as you want there's going to be people who are going to try to you know chip away at that confidence but you have to continue to be determined to do it because there's going to be obstacles and if you get lazy and like give up on something you're not going to be able to achieve those dreams and then I would say just like peace, just having a sense of peace that whether it'll work, whether, because you you can't be so locked on like an outcome that when it doesn't work out, like everything is done. Like, oh my God, like my life is ruined. Like that didn't, I didn't get that dream job or I was supposed to move to LA and whatever happened now I can't. Like you just have to have peace and knowing that if something doesn't work out in the way that you want it to work out, that just means you're supposed to go down another avenue. And so as many goals that I have, as many dreams that I want to accomplish, like I have so much peace knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going to be happy, like whether I accomplish it or not. Uh, Thank you so much, Selena. I really hope that our dream drivers were inspired by your story just as much as I was. Oh, good. Well, thanks. I'm glad. I I hope it definitely does help and touch um, the listeners. All right. So that's a wrap for episode 268 with Selena Rochester. I hope you enjoyed hearing her dream driving journey as well as her keys to success. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, stop what you're doing right now. Screenshot wherever you're listening and post it on your social media. You can tag us. We are dreams and drive across the board, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And also use the hashtag dreams and drive when sharing as well. I want to feature more career stories like Selena's. I think there's a lot of dope people who are doing dope things who outside of entrepreneurship. And I want to really push the message that dream driving doesn't only have to mean that you are building your own company, you're leaving a nine to five. No, there are people who are really being dream drivers within their careers and have outside passions as well. So let's hear more of those stories. Remember, you can always pitch me dreamsanddrive.com slash pitch dreamsanddrive.com slash pitch. And honestly, if you email me too, that's another way to get um, top of mind. If you guys want to join our weekly newsletter, The Keys, and get weekly updates from me, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash join. If you want to get some Dreams and Drive merchandise, so you want to rock some Dreams and Drive gear, some Dreams and Drive t-shirts, sweatshirts, go to dreamsanddrive.com slash shop. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash shop. 
Also, guys, I'm always looking for new ideas or solo episodes, um, our driver's ed episodes. So if you ever have episode suggestions, you can always email me, send me a DM or Instagram. We're Dreams and Drive there. I love hearing from you guys. So don't feel like you can't reach out and let me know what is on your mind and what you want to learn and what type of content you need because I'm creating Dreams and Drive for you. As always, keep dreaming, keep driving, and we'll chat again. Our next episode is going to be dope. It's going to be with Kim. Kimberly B. Cummings, and we're going to be talking about how you can make your next career move your best move. Bye, guys. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.